0: What God wants to do in Indianapolis, specifically here on the north side, is through the church. The church is not peripheral, the church is at the center. And we get the privilege today of launching a brand new congregation. I just want you to hear today that you are at the heart of the will of God for Indianapolis. What God does in here is going to change eternity forever. All that God did. Fisher's launch last weekend. I want you guys to hear this. This is week one. 950 people showed up opening Sunday. 950 people got to hear the gospel already. Keep celebrating. Two baptisms opening weekend at Fisher's campus. Two people. It's just the beginning. I also wanna connect these dots for you. For for those of you who were around with us towards the end of last year, you know all about Awaken, this generosity initiative that we talked about we're gonna be in over the next few years. We had this big vision. Like what would it look like to release the church, revive the city and help restore hope to the world? And I just want you to know that that campus launch, that's connected to that. That your generosity helped make that possible, all right? And this is just the beginning. And if you're just coming in and you wanna be involved, you wanna hear more about this Awaken initiative, you can stop by Info Central at any of our campuses, okay? Well, I'm pumped to be here with you today. We are finishing up our series, Re-Imaged, where we've been looking at, you know, what is God's purpose for my life? And we've looked at everything from the image that we were made in, uh, the relationships that we have to develop, the work that we do, And then today we're going to take a unique angle on it and really just look at, hey, what are the rhythms needed to be able to live out the purpose that God has for me? And here's the question just to frame up our, our time together is, do you have repeated rhythms, repeated patterns of movement that are helping you live out God's purpose for your life? Do you you have that? Do you have those repeated patterns? Is there a rhythm to your life and your spiritual life? Because rhythm's easy to see. It's easy to hear, right? Like when you hear a song, you can hear the rhythm. When you see someone dancing, you can see the rhythm or the lack thereof, right? (laughs) The same is true of our lives. Is there a rhythm? Those repeated patterns, you have those in place, or maybe you need to cultivate them, or maybe you just need to add a few maybe you don't even know what that looks like. Today is for you. And what we've said in this series is that God is far more concerned. We talk about the purpose for our life. He's far more concerned with who we're becoming than what we're doing. So this is more about who God is making us into on the inside than it is just getting some uh, past to get the perfect set of circumstances. And the verse we've been looking at to explain this is Habakkuk chapter three, verse 19, where it says that the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. What we've talked about is a lot of times we come to God, our prayer is to change our circumstances. God remove the mountain when he's saying, no, I wanna strengthen your feet so that you can scale it. We want the circumstances, but he's focused on our character. So here's the question we gotta ask, how does God strengthen our character? That's the question no one wants to ask. Is it it, it a subscription? Is it a pill? Like What does it look like for God to strengthen my character? I think what we can see throughout scripture is that it comes in two ways, but it's under the banner of resistance. Resistance. I would say the first side that we've looked at a little bit this series has been trials that I go through resistance, I go into the valley, I go through the suffering, I face the sickness, I go through the loss. And then there's this process where as I'm going through it, if I choose to believe that God is with me, and I trust that he is walking with me along the way, that as I go through resistance, he's forming me and shaping me. No one can avoid that side. All of our lives, we are gonna experience trials from time to time. The other side of it, though, is one that me and you do have more of a say with, and those would be trainings. This is where I create the resistance in my life through spiritual rhythms. There's this kind of push-pull where I'm pushing away from the way things used to be. I'm pushing away from the ways of the world. I'm pushing away from the culture, and I'm pulling in God's way for my life. I'm pulling in who he says that I am and I'm beginning to follow him. And through this training and through these trials, along the way, in the course of a lifetime, we are formed into the image of Jesus. This is the resistance we go through. This is how God strengthens our character. And before we just jump straight to, okay, what are, the ryth- what are the rhythms? What is the, the training that I need to go through? We need to take a step back. And to say, what got us off rhythm in the first place? Why does there seem to be this disconnect between us and God? Why, why does it feel like, if you use the dancing metaphor, we're, we're off rhythm? Why does it feel like we're not together? Why does it feel a little awkward? Like your first dance in sixth grade, like I don't know where to put my hands or my feet. What we said is God wants to establish those rhythms in our lives. God wants to show us what the relationship can and should look like, but where did, it go? where did it go wrong? It went wrong at the very beginning. Genesis chapter two, it says, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed on the seventh day. And God finished his work of creation, So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was a day when he rested from all of his work of creation. I want you to think about this. In the creation story, it's over and over again. God has this rhythm to what he's doing. He's setting things apart. He's separating them. He's filling them. And everything goes where he wants it to go. And then he rested well, what does that mean? Did God get tired? Like God was just speaking things into existence and he got to the end and he's like, okay, no. I'm not gonna throw up, I'm good. Um, <laughs> angels, go ahead. No, no, go, I'll catch up, I'll catch up. You know, I can be anywhere all the time, so I'll be there. No, he, he, he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was done. Jewish rabbis have this beautiful teaching about Genesis where they say it's about the God who knows how to say enough. Like a poet or a painter who looks at his work and to know to add one single stroke would mean to take away from something else. So in God's perfection, he sets it all into motion and then takes a step back and begins to look at its goodness, and just to share and delight in what he has created. created. So I want you to think about this. Who in the world would have the audacity to step forward after God has said that everything is perfect, could say, no, I think I can make it better? It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. We see so quickly that as God begins this dance with humanity, setting out for them what is enough and what their life is going to look like, they don't have to add anything to it. It's as good as it can get. It doesn't take long for Eve to say, hold my fruit. Watch what I'm about to do. I mean, this is just honestly, just a few verses over. It says, the Lord God placed a man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Did you see the trial? Did you see the testing of trusting God's enough? This is what he wants. I want you to trust me. I want you to have faith that what I say is good and that there's nothing more. It won't make it better. It would only subtract from it. He says, you can have all of this except this one. And we see pretty quickly that no time at all, they're in this garden and then you have this serpent, this Satan figure that steps in and really begins to question her. Makes her curious of like, maybe there is more than what God says is enough. Maybe you could be even more like him, knowing between good and evil. So he tempts her. And then look at her response. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. It had everything. God set it all into motion and said, let this be enough. Trust me, take me at my word. But they don't. And I think that's a great way to begin to framing sin of like, what is it? You see, sin is the result of not trusting God's enough. I want you to think about that in your life. Yeah, just take a moment right now. Think about your sin, past and present. Go ahead, I'll wait. It's a fun thing to think about. But place it under that banner and see if it doesn't really bring to life what's really going on. When you think about stealing, well, you took something because you didn't think you had enough. When you lust after something, when you have envy, when you gossip. What do people say when they gossip? I, I've said too much. You said more than you should have. Overeating, over drinking. At, at the end of it, it was too much. I didn't trust what God said was enough. I didn't trust his way. And I thought, just like Eve, I thought it would be the thing that would bring me what I really needed. I thought it would be the thing that would kind of deal with this ache inside me. But the more we took, the more it took from us. And it feels like we're just constantly taking more and losing more. And what's God's response to our rebellion? We see from Genesis and then really the same story played out over and over again. It's his people, his creation have the audacity to rebel against him. And over and over again, he meets them with grace and he offers them a new way. Come back to me, be my people. Let me establish the rhythms that you can live by and that you can flourish by. I mean, this is the same invitation that Jesus would step on the scene and what he offered to all people. Look at this, Matthew 11, verse 28. It says, then Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Is that anyone today? and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you." This is the invitation that Jesus came. He looked out into a world not so different than ours, people worn out, carrying things that they were never meant to carry, reaching for more, not trusting God's enough. And Jesus said, no, no, let me invite you into this. But he doesn't invite them in to just, hey, come stand next to me, come believe what I said you should believe, and then keep living how you want to live. He said, take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke, it's it's farming equipment. It's what would be like put on top of two animals that would bring them together. And see, this yoke would unite them. And now they would move together and plow the ground together, moving in unison, sharing the same rhythm. But also teachers had yokes. Rabbis had yokes, they had teachings and a way of life that they would lay on their apprentices that they would begin to walk together with. And here's the thing we all need to see, me and you, no matter your background, no matter what you're coming from, no matter if you're hyper-religious or you don't believe in God at all, we all have a yoke. There's something that we are walking step by step with. There's something on the other side of us. There's something that is ultimate to us, whether it's money, whether it's power, whatever, success, it is shaping us into the image it needs us to be. Whatever's on the other side, unless it's Jesus, there is nothing behind that question mark that will ever say enough. There's nothing that'll ever say, okay, you're good now. That's, you're satisfied. It'll always be one more and then another, and it'll take you further than you ever planned on going. Only Jesus says, come to me and find rest, a real rest. Come to me and be satisfied. Come to me and learn how to walk through this life. I love the way that the message translates these verses. He says, are you tired, worn out? burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it. Learn, here it is, the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Is that not something that you yearn for? To live freely and lightly? Can I tell you what that looks like? It looks like you on one side and it looks like Jesus on the other. And he says, I want you to walk with me and I want you to work with me. When I move, you move. I want you to look to me for everything that you're gonna do. And along the way, if you stay under this yoke with me, you'll learn and trust what God's enough for you really is. And for the rest of our time together, I'm really just going to funnel us down to, okay, what does that look like? How do we begin to cultivate those rhythms in our life? What does it look like to be more and more comfortable in that yoke, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus? What do we need? I love Dallas Willard's framework for spiritual formation or spiritual rhythms. He boils it down to what he calls VIM, vision, intention, and then method or, or means, how we're going to do this thing. And a lot of times you're probably still on the edge of your seat. Like, can we just get to the means? Can we get to the method? Tell me what I can do, and I'll do it. But I'm telling you, we jump to that part. We jump to the means. We jump to the method. We're going to end up just like what Jesus was talking about—burned out on religion. And that's really just us trying to make our way towards God without the proper vision and intention. It's all for naught. We need all three. So here's here's the vision. What is the vision for my spiritual rhythms? Why am I doing this anyways? What's my goal? How do I know if I'm succeeding? How do I know if I'm moving in the right direction? You see, for a lot of us, I think it's not that our vision is too big, it's, it's too small. Our vision for our life is a lot of times like, God, just help me to be better than who I used to be. God, I used to do these things. God, help me to stop doing those. Do you see how that's not a vision at all? That's like an anti-vision. Or even if you flip it and you do the positive side of it, God, make me the best version of myself. What if the best version of yourself isn't that great? (laughs) Once again, though, even if it is great, God still has a bigger vision for your life than that. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You were created anew for the purposes that he has for you. Did you see the subtle difference? I can say it this way. When you placed your faith in Jesus, You were made anew. This means God isn't making the old you better. He is making a new you more and more like Jesus. And that's really good news. That's my vision. I am being formed more and more into his image. I am learning what it looks like to bear the image of God. And maybe you're talking like, what what does that even look like? How do I begin to replicate and look like a God that speaks worlds into existence? How do I connect that to my life? It's Jesus. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse nine. It says, Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. My vision for my life is the life of Jesus. And it's not just reading his teachings in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's seeing how did he live? How did he spend his time? Where did he go? What were the rhythms of his life that allowed him to do what he did? That's my vision. The second piece is intention. I intend, if that's my vision, then I intend to obey everything God has put before me because I believe everything he's asked of me to do and to stop doing is gonna help me become formed into the image of Jesus. But intention is one that we get wonky with too. Even if we have the right intention, I want to, I intend to obey God, some of us are doing it for the wrong reasons. It's more of a fear-based type of a thing. Like I intend to obey God because I don't intend on going to hell. And I intend on going to church because that's what I'm supposed to do, I think. And I I intend to do these things because well, I, I really don't know why, but I'm afraid not, I'm afraid not to. And I can tell you fear works great in the short term, but when we're looking at, I don't know, the course of a life, it won't last. Eventually you'll become burned out. Eventually you'll walk away. You'll feel the weight that you were never meant to carry and you'll walk away. And that's not the way Jesus talks about this relationship anyways. He talks about the kingdom of heaven, not in a way of fear, but in excitement. Take a look at this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. This is what it looks like to have Jesus, to be in relationship with him. Our intention is built and overflowing out of excitement and joy. Like someone who found a treasure in a field, buried it, went back, sold everything he had so that he could get this one thing. My motivation is joy. My motivation is excitement. And then my life is about progressively working my way towards that vision. Progressively, not perfectly. Reorganizing my life in a way that it's clear that he is the most important thing. That's the intention. The last one is method, the means. How are we going to do that? What are the daily rhythms and patterns of our lives that we can put into place that will allow us to become more like Jesus? And before I get to it, I just wanna paint the very clear picture that this is going to be hard work. That this resistance is resistance for a reason. There is this inner turmoil, there's this war within us of this push and this pull that we are gonna have to put ourselves in over and over again. And slowly, day by day, we're gonna be formed into the image of Jesus. I think a lot of times we place our faith in Jesus, or I say the prayer that one time, and then I'm just kind of, I just fall into God's lazy river. And I just float through life in this pure state of joy and ecstasy until I've land on heaven's gates. And I'm like, Father, I'm here. But I want you to see the way the Bible talks about what this process is gonna be like, what sanctification, what following Jesus, being in that yoke, what it looks like. He says, and because of this, because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape, hear this, escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. So what is it gonna take to escape the human desire of more, of overreaching, of not thinking that God is enough and trusting ourselves instead of him? What is it gonna take? Look at all of this. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises and look how much supplementing we're gonna be doing. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. How how do I know that my vision really is Jesus? And how do I know I'm following through and my intentions are pure of obeying him? The end result is gonna be that I have love For everyone, it's gonna be that I have those lists, that I'm able to obtain them, that God has given me those. It's going to take a lifetime. Can I say it this way? There's no such thing as spontaneous discipleship. Discipleship is the process where I move from where I am into more and more like Jesus. We have spontaneous baptisms. In a moment, you hear who God is, what he's done, what he wants from you. And you respond, in a moment you are baptized, in a moment you are justified, you move from death to life and it's beautiful. But we have intentional discipleship, which means by all my means, every effort I'm putting towards being formed more and more into the image of Jesus and it takes a lifetime. It'll take longer than I think it should, but it'll be worth more and better than I could have ever imagined. You know, I used to love those WWJD bracelets. You know what I'm talking about, what would Jesus do? And I still do. I like the idea of them, but I just think they're incomplete. But here's the basic idea for those of you that um, either weren't around in like the 90s or I don't know. It was a bracelet that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it was this beautiful reminder that as you're going through life and as you're getting tested and tried, you, you, you look down and you think, what would Jesus do? which is great. But I don't know how helpful it is without the other part, without the the methods and the means and the training and the resistance. It's this idea that somehow in this moment, you're going through a really hard time, but then you just stop and you look down and you think, what would Jesus do? And then you close your eyes and then you become some like Christian power ranger and you're like, it's morphin' time. (laughs) And then I become like Jesus in this moment. Maybe. God does the miraculous. God can do that. But maybe there's something different. Maybe God wants to develop those rhythms and those patterns in our life. You see, I, I grew up and I loved playing basketball. Loved it. I grew up in Indiana. What else were we, well, what else were we doing, you know? I still play today, but not very much, right? Um, for a lot of reasons, mostly because every time I play, I get hurt. Um, but... I still enjoy playing basketball. I still enjoy shooting. I still enjoy the exercise. A lot of times it's just fun to get together with some friends and play. But now when I play today, when I catch the ball, do you know what I'm thinking? WWJD, what would Jordan do? (laughs) No, I'm not thinking that. Why, because that's not helpful. It's not helpful to catch the ball knowing I haven't trained, played basketball in six months that I'm somehow gonna be magically, spontaneously transformed into the image of Jordan. No, I'm thinking, how can I shoot without having to move? (laughs) I'm thinking, jab step, that didn't work. Jab step, pump fake. How do I get this ball off? But do you know who did actually think what would Jordan do and who could actually do what Jordan did? Kobe Bryant. Now, what's the difference between me and Kobe Bryant? Easy, okay? (laughs) Easy. The difference is he gave his life to training for this one thing. He watched every clip of Jordan. He watched every game and he not only did that, then he went into the gym And then he practiced every move, every spin, every fadeaway, so that when he found himself in the game, on that platform, he was able to do what Jordan did. Me and you, our training is not a gym, it is our lives. It's our relationship with God, it's our relationship with others. It's our work that we do. Every step of the way, it's a time for us to train, not only knowledge, to know what Jesus did, but to have the obedience to live it out and to practice and try. Now we get to the rhythms to cultivate. What are those rhythms that we can do? What is the training side of this resistance that is gonna help form us into the image of Jesus? The first one is Bible reading, daily Bible reading. And I just wanna add a caveat, because I think sometimes when we talk about Bible reading, it's something different than the way the Bible (laughs) instructs us to read it, all right? Look at the way it talks about reading the Bible in Psalm 1. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbanks, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. This isn't, hey, I have quiet time every morning and I have my verse that I've already handpicked and then I read it and I check a box and then I move on with my day. No, no, it's I meditate on God's word day and night. I'm with God in his presence, in his word. And then I stew on it and I meditate on it. I think about it all day and it shapes how I live. And did you see the result? He said it'd be like trees planted next to a river. It'll be like trees that are producing fruit in season and out of season. What does that mean? It means that there are gonna be people that are going through trials. They're gonna be in seasons of loss and tragedy and pain where no fruit should be produced. And yet there is, fruit. there is fruit. How is that possible? It's because they have something bigger than their circumstances. They have something stronger within them, that they are planted and rooted in the wisdom of God. You only get that by being in his word and learning from him and knowing who he is. The second one is pray. And I just wanna give us a little bit of a framework around prayer and how you can connect it to daily Bible reading. I pray, and here's just an acronym we use here at church, pray, praise, repent, ask, yield. So as I'm reading through scripture, the thing I'm focusing on is what is this teaching me about who God is? What is it about this scripture that tells me he is worthy of worship? And I just spend some time worshiping him, praising him for who he is. And then I move into a time of repentance. Chances are, as I was reading his word, there's something that has convicted me. There's something that I'm not doing or something um, that I need to stop doing in this moment. So I take time to confess it and then I repent. I not only say I'm sorry, I turn and say, I'm actually gonna start moving in the way you want me to move. And then I ask. I ask for anything and everything, big and small. Nothing's too big, nothing's too small. I ask my heavenly Father who wants to give good things to me. And then I yield. I don't just break after the ask. I don't just ask for all my things and then go about my business. I wait and I yield. And I sit in silence before the Lord and I say, God, I've made my request known, but what do you have for me? What is it that I'm not even aware of? What is it that you want from me God, share it with me. And then in silence, you sit at the feet of Jesus. We pray. We go to church. Not when we can, not when it works. I make it a priority. A regular part of my rhythm is that I go to church. And not only go to church, I'm engaged at church. I come in with a very different mindset. Some of you need to remember that you're walking in with treasure, like you found treasure. There's excitement. Some of you need to tell your face that you have been excited to to come here today. I come in and I'm not just here taking in and consuming. I'm participating. I'm worshiping. I'm connected with God. I'm praying. I'm leaned in during the message. I'm responding at at the end of every single time we gather together. I'm getting stirred up to obey what he's calling me to do. And then I go do it. Community. I know that I can't do it by myself. I don't try to. I have a personal faith, but not a private one. So I make sure that I surround myself with people that are gonna help me, call me out, that are gonna encourage me. They're gonna pick me up when I fall. That's a rhythm that we all need. I serve, and I don't serve out of guilt. I don't serve because someone told me there's a need over there, and I'm gonna go fill it. I serve because Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. I serve because Jesus modeled it for me. And as I'm studying his life, I see that there's this God of the universe who would humble himself, wrap himself in flesh and bones, who would come to his disciples, the ones that he's leading, and kneel down and wash their feet. And I think that there's something in servanthood, there's something in humility that only that can help form me into the image of Jesus. So I serve regularly and often, and I give. I become a generous person. If you wanna talk about one of the biggest tension points we have to believing that what we have is enough and not reaching for more, it's in our finances. So I set up the regular rhythm. Every time I get paid, I'm giving God my first and my best, and I'm trusting that he can do more with what I have left than if I kept it all for myself. And then you have Sabbath. Sabbath is just a 24 hour period, once a week, where I reflect the same rhythm that God had from the beginning of creation, where he took a step back and he rested. Not necessarily because he had to, he wasn't burned out, but he chose to sit back and to have a day. You get that same thing. God invites us into it. A day of worship, a day of feasting, a day to just see God and delight in him and to be reminded the world's still spinning even though I'm not working. And I know this can be a big list and you're looking at it and you're like, okay, tomorrow, I'm doing all these. Add it to the calendar. I will tell you, it will not work. It'll be like going to the gym, I don't know, the first time in ever and saying, you know what? Today, I'm doing every machine, right now. You will wake up the next day and never wanna work out again. The goal is to just look at these and say, maybe I'm already doing one or two of them But how can I connect a few of them together? How can I make it more of a priority? How can I schedule around it and then add to it little by little? But the thing that I want to put here at the closing, and it's kind of just like a a warning of sorts of how this can still go wrong. And how we actually need all of these they are interconnected, working together to form us into the image of Jesus If I could use this illustration of this this jug here, the water represents God, this cup represents us. A lot of times there's not too much rhythm to our lives when it comes to spiritual things. Really, maybe for most people, church is my rhythm. And I'm pretty consistent with it. And every single week, I come to church most of the time when I can, you know, and I come in and I get a splash in my cup and it is amazing. I come in tired, I get motivated, I get inspired. It is great. And I leave a little bit filled up. And I'm like, man, I, know I, lo- I knew I loved it there. I'm going back again next Sunday. But then you leave and you're in the parking lot and you're trying to leave. And there's a beautiful process where one car goes and then another, and then you let this one go. But they're not doing it. <laughs> and then they make you say something you said you weren't gonna say anymore. <laughs> and you lose a little bit. And then, but you still got some and you go to work on Monday and you're like, new year, new me, I'm changing this place. I'm setting the culture. I'm bringing love and positivity and kindness. And I try, but it's so hard. It takes so much from me that, you know, I get through Tuesday and then friends and family and kids and everybody else. And then I'm empty by Wednesday. And can I just tell you that coming to church is not enough. If you live by the Sunday, you will die by the Sunday. That's one problem. The second problem that I see is even those of us that establish the rhythms, we have the things, we come to church, We get a little splash, go along our way, but only until that next morning we come back. I got quiet time. So I go and I spend a little time with the Lord and I pray a little bit and I read my Bible and then I go. And I'm a good Christian too, so I'm a part of a group. And I go to group on Wednesdays, not because I want to, but because I have to, because I know how they talk about me if I don't come. (laughs) So I get another little splash. And then I serve, but not really because I want to or need to, it's just because I felt guilty. I feel like I'm supposed to, so I serve a little bit. There's still a way to have all of the rhythms to do all the things without the right intentions. To do it in your own power, to come and to get a little bit and then to move away and go about your life. The same thing happens. Sunday, that person's still gonna cut you off. You're still gonna say the thing you didn't say, shouldn't have said. Work's still gonna be what it is, but you're gonna have enough to get through. But I'll tell you where the rest of the water goes. It's in trying to muster it up in your own power and do it for your own reasons and your own motives. And by the end of the week, you're gonna be empty again. So what hope do we have? To reframe the way that we look at spiritual rhythms. It's not necessarily about what we're doing, it's about who we're with while we're doing it. If I could give you one piece of advice, it would be to not move the cup. Keep keep present with the Spirit of God. The word that the Bible uses for this is abide remain, stay with me. Don't try to just take the things of God and then to move, but I'm gonna be connected and I'm gonna abide in him. Look at what it says. It says, I have loved you. Even as the father has loved me, remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. God's enough for you is more than enough. And when I go into this space of the spiritual rhythms and the most important thing isn't what I do, but it's who I'm with, that I'm in the yoke with Jesus. I'm abiding, I'm with him. We see this completely change. And that cup doesn't move. And his spirit just pours out over me and kindness and goodness and love and joy begins to overflow in my life. I don't have an empty cup and I don't have to worry that I'm gonna run out because it's just over and over and over again. And I wanna show you this. I have this full cup. God has filled me. And what we talk about around here is living out of the overflow, which means this is where I serve from. This is where I live from. This is what I have to share with anyone. I don't have to be selfish or stingy or worry that God doesn't have. I have more than enough. This is what God wants for you. And this is the point of the spiritual rhythms, to have life and life to the full. And if you're here today and you're like, how how do I get that? How do I get my cup filled? How do I find this rest that you're talking about? It's only in Jesus. That Jesus is the son of God. That Jesus came to live that perfect life, reconciling us back to him, bringing that rhythm into place and establishing a relationship. Dying to all of that sin, all of our reaching and grabbing for more and all of the the fractions that it created and all the brokenness, he brought it all back together. And in his name, and by the power of God, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And on the other side, offers an invitation to me and you to come and to be with me, to abide, to get in the yoke and to walk with me and work with me from now until forever. You can respond to that today. Amen. The way we're gonna close today is through another spiritual rhythm. It's called communion. And this is the ultimate reminder that Jesus is enough, that it's his body, it's his blood that has been poured out and broken for us. So if you have it, I would just encourage you to take the little piece of bread which represents the body of Jesus and be reminded of all that he has for you and all that he wants, the vision for your life. Take this and remember. Take the cup which represents the blood of Jesus, which was poured out for me and you and remember the sacrifice that was made. If you can, stand to your feet. We're gonna end in a time of prayer and then go into a time of worship. Would you pray with us? Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the life you have for us. And it's so much more than we could even ask for or imagine. But God, help us to cultivate the rhythms needed. God, keep the vision of who you are at the forefront. God, help us to look to you and to not downplay the life you've called us to. We are being made into your image, more and more formed into your ways. God, help us to keep our intentions pure. God, that we intend out of excitement to obey, to be able to experience more and more of what you have for us. And God, I pray that you would give us the discipline to hold on to the methods and the means and the rhythms and the disciplines, day in and day out so that we could be formed into the image of Jesus. But God, don't let us try to do it on our own. God, I pray that everyone listening right now God, would make the most important thing about their life abiding in you, putting themselves in a position to be close to you. And that out of that position would come an overflow, more joy than we could ask for, a, a spirit of gratitude, and the God that we would be locked in with you praying constantly. Father, we ask now as we stand to our feet and as we worship you and praise you, God, we ask that you would fill us that out of that overflow is what we would live from. Jesus, it is in your perfect and holy name we pray. Amen.